Hi, I'm Gareth Kane. Welcome to the Net Zero Business Podcast. Okay, today I'm delighted to be joined by Alex Heritage of Skanska, who works as Carbon and Sustainability Manager at Anglia Water at One Alliance. That's quite a complicated setup, so perhaps, Alex, you could explain it to us first of all. Thanks, Gareth. Um, so the I1 Alliance is a collaboration between seven companies, which include Anglian Water, but we deliver most of Anglian Water's capital programme. So we put new pipes in the ground, we build and upgrade water treatment works and water recycling treatment works to meet the needs of growing population in the east of England and, of course, the environment to make sure that we are leaving it in a better state than we than we found it. Fantastic. Now, we'll come back to, to Anglia Water in a, in a minute, but perhaps you could think back to when you first became involved in sustainability and how that happened and, and why you got involved. I suppose professionally, it was sort of, it's always been sort of a golden thread in what I've, what I've been doing, where, where I started on a, a graduate rotation programme in within the water industry it was it was always something you could bring in and i suppose personally it's just i've always had that sort of interest in the natural world and sort of been immersed in sort of geography because it's what i did at uni and my my mum was a geography teacher as well and it's just you can just sort of see what's happening and that sort of need to to do something about it i suppose and you were an energy manager at uh, welsh water originally weren't you Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I, I spent eight years in energy management at Welsh Water doing carbon reporting, looking at operational efficiency like pump replacement and electrical efficiency, but then also deploying large amounts of solar power and renewables and optimizing some of our existing renewable assets. And then I managed that program as well of, of investment. So energy management became carbon management? Yes. Yeah. So what would you say are the, the main drivers on the on the water business to to start taking climate change in particular seriously? So for, for angling water, climate change has been a key, of a key threat for many years because it's the driest area of the UK. It's got the fastest growing population. It's very flat. So all the sort of classic impacts of climate change around increasing heat and decreasing water availability increasing storminess and flooding sort of hit the business pretty hard. So that has driven action over the last sort of 15 plus years to reduce emissions. And then so that's why Anglian are aiming for net zero operational emissions by 2030, but also have been leaders in trying to reduce capital carbon as well. Mm-hmm. So the carbon emitted from building new assets, maintaining assets in the materials and fuel and plant used. And then sort of coupled with that, renewable energy targets, which is sort of a, a really important part to sort of cost efficiency, doing the, the best we can for the for the customer and just a general sort of resilience for the company and for the, for the region. Because the more we move to renewables and reduce the reduce amount of energy and carbon that we use the more resilient the, the business becomes 
And I suppose the, the water industry is quite unique in that your customers provide you with quite a lot of raw material for for renewable energy. Yes. Yeah, I've always said that we are unique because gas and electricity utilities don't receive anything back, whereas we get to go full cycle. But yeah, certainly use of, of bioresources to generate energy has been a huge sort of carbon success over the years um, for the water industry. So if we if we dig into the targets, the net zero by 2030 is obviously quite a an impending target. Isn't that part of a of a sector wide, all the water companies agreeing a net zero target? Yes, it was. It was in 2019, I think, all the English water companies came together and agreed that sort of mutual target. Um, and then they each have their own individual sub-targets under that. But yes, generally, it was it was agreed that we could achieve net, net zero by, by 2030. And then you have some carbon reduction targets underneath that as well, I understand. Yes. So the there's a, a pathway associated with that. And we know that we can decarbonize electricity, transport largely by them. We can reduce fossil fuel use. But what we're left with is what we refer to as process emissions. So it's methane and nitrous oxide emissions as a result of the way we've been treating wastewater for the last sort of 100 plus years, part of the biological process. And that's sort of our main residual emission. But we are large landowners generally as water companies. So there are also opportunities to offset, inset, whichever term you like, within our own asset base um, so that we have areas of quite high ecological value where we can upgrade them, increase carbon storage, for example, in peat or um, salt marshes. And, of course, there's a little bit of tree planting, but only when it's appropriate and trying to get extra value out of that for flood resilience or water quality, that sort of thing as well. So was that a an active decision to go for insetting rather than external offsetting? Yes, because we it's known that it's believed to be the right thing to do, but also you get all the additional benefits. When you buy a carbon credit off the international markets, it is what it is. It's a financial transaction. You don't get any of those other resilience benefits on water quality, quantity, holding water back if you don't want it, or storing water for later use and making it cleaner as well right so so do you build some like flood protection into into what you're doing if you're if you're planting trees or maintaining some of these ecosystems that's that's the idea yes i mean it's, it's down the order of priority as it should be offsetting it's it's sitting behind all the other more active effort at the moment it's probably going into reducing emissions first but mm -hmm. restoring peatlands has been sort of predates net zero thinking, I think, because we know that it reduces flooding downstream. We know it improves water quality, so it's easier to treat. So that's been something that many water companies have been doing for, for quite a few years now. But of course, not everybody has that opportunity. There's mm -hmm. not, not many peat areas in um, where Anglian water are in the east of England, but obviously the upland and northern water companies have a, have quite a lot of scope. Yeah, I find that a fascinating idea. And I understand, is it 50 hectares of woodland on site as part of the insetting? 
Yes, that sounds about right. And again, different water companies have different opportunities, I suppose, and different amounts of lands that's spare and available and, and suitable for tree planting. So what what would you say the, the biggest challenges to the sector in achieving net zero, particularly by 2030? Individual case studies and doing amazing things is not difficult. Making that best practice business as usual and converting brilliant innovations into something that actually really moves the needle, I think that's the the trickiest thing. Because we've all, certainly within Act One, we've we've had loads of amazing projects that have seen some really great carbon reductions, but making that happen first time every time that's the that's the tricky bit i think have you got any tricks to the trade for making that happen we we've put a lot of effort recently into try and make sort of carbon understandable whereas we probably our reporting was quite high level and didn't give much insight to, to any particular project team within that one we've put a lot of effort into making it more visible more more granular so that people can actually compare themselves against like for like projects to see what they should be able to achieve or if they're not achieving what it probably should be achievable so they can go back and relook at their their designs so really actually making the data accessible and usable rather than just sort of the elite thing that the carbon sustainability team does in the corner of the office yeah because it- just you just really made me think because i have seen a lot of organizations where if they might do one fantastic project but then that becomes box ticked and it gets wheeled out again and again and again so that sort of integration into business as usual is a must people some people just don't seem to understand you you don't just need to do it once you need to do it every time as you say so what would you say is either your personal proudest achievement or or your corporate proudest, the, the thing you're proudest of, you know, is there a particular case study you, you really like? I think personally, it, it's a slightly old one now, but I was I was really excited when I got chartered and I yeah. got my sort of chartered environmentalist in badge because I enjoyed the process of actually doing it. And it was, it, it came at a really good time in my career. And it was, it was a, I felt like a, a really important milestone. Corporately, Anglian Water, in collaboration with Welsh Water and Affinity Water, and Sweco and Skanska have just wrapped up the projects that we called Enabling Whole Life Carbon in Design. And we were able to do that because we won some funding from Offwatt in their, mm-hmm. from their innovation fund. So we were actually able to go away and integrate carbon into our digital 3d engineering models so again what i was saying about making carbon visible we're able to start color coding in a sort of a simple red amber green sort of status within our 3d environment that we do design in so you you, you move away from doing a design costing it up in a spreadsheet calculating carbon in a spreadsheet uh, designs changed repeat keep going around the cycle but actually going to a a place only as a proof of concept currently but we've shown we can do it to actually you make a change in your your model then you get to see a live change in the carbon values and the cost values so you save time people can actually go away and spend time reducing carbon rather than calculating it oh so it's it's automated and 
where is the importance of design on the spectrum for for what Anglia or the, the wider collaboration is trying to do? Personally, I think it's the most important part because although 90% plus of the embodied carbon is emitted during the build and the purchase of the materials, that is all that is mainly determined by what's in your design. Mm-hmm. Y- yes, we can start looking at the way we set our sites up. Can we use electric um, diggers or dumpers and that sort of thing? But actually, we've chosen our materials, the quantities, etc., in design and how they're configured and how it will operate. And so that, the, the personally, I feel the magic happens in design. Fantastic. I have an MPhil and eco-design, so I tend to agree with you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I once read design is the engine of good environmental practice, and I've never been able to, to source that quote again, but uh, I, I live by it. Going back then to the C-Eng, the personal issue, is that something you would recommend You know, people getting into this sector pursue? I think the, certainly the having to sort of fill in the application thing is a really good place to stop and reflect Mm -hmm. because it's when you're just delivering business as usual and projects and and reporting, it's very difficult sometimes to stop and look up out of the weeds and sort of Mm -hmm. look back and and realise, actually, hang on, we've delivered loads of great stuff. We've come, we were reporting, our reporting was previously at this level. Now we can break it down in 10 new ways. We can get loads of insight out of this. We've delivered 25 sites now partially powered by renewables. Like, mm. And it's actually taking time to stop and reflect is, is really valuable. Mm. And I think the credibility is really important in, in the sector when you're engaging with stakeholders or just more generally, or even if a business talking to its customers, if you're not credible, then it can sort of start to verge on greenwash or be perceived that way. Mm-hmm. So a per- personally getting charged is one of those ways you can sort of improve and validate your personal credibility, I suppose. Yeah, and which institute was that with? I've got chartered through the uh, CIWEM, the Charter Institute of Water and Environmental Management. Just thought I'd check because there's a, there's a number. Mine, mine came through IEMA. Uh, but but it's interesting because I know Cywem very much used to be water, water, water. So it's interesting that their sustainability is higher profile. I think with all, all, all the professional institutions I've found, I think sustainability has really risen up. Definitely. There's lots of good papers coming out. There's lots of good reading and CPD material. And the a lot of the events tend to be sort of sustainability related. And I think it's the, the MPA, the Major Projects Association, actually make all their sustainability events free, yeah. whereas most other events are paid for if you're not a member. So yeah. I think that's that's real positive progress. That we can get everyone involved easily. Yes, because it is. And one of the reasons why we're doing this interview is to, you know, to share best practice, share insights, uh, share our stories and inspire others. So, yeah, I would I would fully endorse that, too. So just finally talking of, you know, personal development and things like that, if somebody was entering into the corporate sphere from, say, um, a course, you know, this is a, a new job direction or, or their first job and was coming into your team or equivalent. What's the, the main piece of advice you would give them? It moves very quickly, the sector. 
So keeping up to date is really important. Mm -hmm. And personally, I find LinkedIn is one of the best ways because it does keep up to date. You can get a variety of viewpoints quite quickly. Whereas if you go and read something that's maybe a couple of years old from a professional institution, actually parts of that are probably verging on out of date already. Mm -hmm. um, but don't forget to engage with the people that aren't engaged because they're probably the ones who have to convince at some point. So learn understanding how you can bring people on the journey with you. And actually you get some of the most valuable learning from people who explaining why you can't do something might just spark <laughs> the idea on, okay, we can get around it and do it this way in, instead. So don't ignore them just because they're not sort of talking to you, I suppose. <laughs> so yeah, LinkedIn is a, is a form of CPD. Uh, I must admit that's, but, but that's a new one, but, but yes, there is, there is a lot of great stuff on there uh, as well as the people trying to sell you uh, yes. house insurance or whatever it might be. Pension. Yes, there's a lot of sales, but there's enough, enough people out there that you can sort of if you, if you know enough to be able to filter out the, the things that won't go anywhere and don't quite make sense, then, which is a skill in itself, being able to do that, that filter. Yeah, well, thank you very much, Alex. I've just, you know, I've just been taking some notes of reading what we've covered on collaboration, the use of biogas as renewable energy source, offsetting versus insetting, uh, making best practice business as usual, making data accessible, and then the sort of personal development things about chartered environmentalists, keeping up to date and bring people with you. And then not to mention the importance of design. And I, I did like the idea that your design models automatically give you the, the carbon footprint without you having to on that uh, red, amber, green system. Yeah. Rather, It than is that. still a proof of concept. It's not <laughs> business as usual, but it, <laughs> we only completed the projects a couple of months ago. So yeah. it's it will develop, hopefully. Um, Brilliant. Well, I, I hope it does. So thank you very much for joining us today, Alex. Thanks, Gareth. It's been a, been a pleasure. I, I enjoy talking about these things. So uh, yeah, it's been fun. Thank you very much. If you find this episode of the podcast interesting, please do me two wee favours. First of all, give it a five-star rating to help others find it as well. And secondly, subscribe via your usual podcast provider so you'll get every episode into the future. Mm -hmm.